Thank you so much for this uh, opportunity, O oh Lord God, that you have given to us, O oh Lord God. Lord, uh, continue to guide us, Lord God, especially our uh, lesson for today. And uh, Lord, and I pray that also Dane will uh, you also guide him, O oh Lord God, to to give us more encouragement, O oh Lord, for this lesson, O oh Lord God, and also bless Janet, O oh Lord God, for her life, O oh Lord, so Lord. Thank you so much, O oh Lord God for uh, this opportunity. Yes, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, tonight we are going to look at being imitators of Christ. So we're in 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. So we're going to cover four verses tonight. By way of reminder, our last week we saw 1 John 2, 1 through 2, which kind of summarized but gave us a foundation that we can set the first chapter of John on. So remember that was about walking in the light and confessing our sins. Well, how do we know that that has any effect when we are walking in the light and we are confessing our sins? How do we know that's good enough? Well, we know that's good enough because Christ himself is our advocate. He's our lawyer. If we sin, he and not us is going to plead before God. Uh, he is our intercessor, our intermediary between us and God. He's our high priest. Uh, so what that means is essentially Christ is in heaven praying for us so that when we pray to Christ, uh, we are only praying uh, within his will, and then he will make those prayers perfect before God. Um, Jesus is also our propitiation, uh, which means that he takes on our sin and pays for it. Um, and this is something that he did in the past. So we can be absolutely sure that our sins are already paid for because the price has already been paid even before we committed these sins. So our penalty is now uh, nothing because Christ has taken all of that penalty on himself. So on that foundation from last week, we know that Jesus Christ is absolutely justified in being our advocate, that when he pleads before the Father, he's already paid the price, so his plea will be heard uh, every time. So we can be absolutely sure that when we are confessing our sins, that we are in a right relationship with God. Uh, <clears throat> All right, so there's a couple errors on this imitating is spelled wrong, and our verses are 1 John 2, 3 through 6, so ignore that. Um, see, Janet, could I have you read these four verses for us? Uh, yeah, sure. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, 3 to 4? E, 3 to 6. Ah, uh, 3 to 6. Okay. The whole thing, yeah. Uh, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly be, been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
Good, thank you. Here's Nita. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So if we remember, we can recall back in chapter one, we saw that we are supposed to be walking in light and that we are supposed to be confessing our sins. Now we see that we are to be following his commandments. So we're going to have to ask a few questions. What are his commandments? What does it mean to walk in them? And how do we abide in Christ? So let's take a deeper look. Let's start with 1 John 2, 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now in Greek, I don't have this slide, but in Greek, there are two different words for know. There's edu, which means like to know a fact, to be aware of something. Uh, like I might, uh, I know my mother's name. This is a fact about her. But the other word is gnosko, which means to know intimately. So when I say I know my mother, that means I have more of a personal relationship with her. I know her intimately. Uh, so this knowing him is that gnosko. This is a more intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it isn't speaking about mere facts about Christ. This is saying that I've come into a deeper knowledge and relationship of Christ. And that him, we are assuming here, John is speaking of Christ because Jesus Christ is our advocate and our propitiation was the previous context. So we're going to keep that context and, and look at this hymn as most likely speaking of Jesus Christ, although John sometimes speaks of Jesus Christ and God in the same person. Um, Janet asked a question about that earlier, so we want to remember uh, to keep that in our minds that John puts these two people together uh, sometimes in his speech because they are one God. So um, he doesn't make that distinction between the persons of God um, consistently. So when we are <clears throat> keeping his commandments, we are coming into a deeper personal relationship knowledge of him. Uh, we can view this as a test of fellowship. So not a test of salvation, our salvation is sure because Christ is our propitiation. Because of that fact, we know that we are saved. But uh, we might fall in and out of fellowship. When we fall out of fellowship, remember, we want to walk in the light, listen to the Spirit's pleading with our hearts, and come into a right relationship with him by, by confessing the sins that we know. And then he's going to be faithful to cleanse all of our unrighteousness. But we need to test sometimes because maybe it's not as obvious to us. Am I walking in the light? Am I walking in the darkness? So uh, when we are unsure of the spirits pleading with our hearts, we turn to scripture, um, of course, and we see, are we walking in the way that Christ would walk? Are we keeping the commandments that he gave to his disciples um, who were in a close relationship with him? So this is a test that we can do on our own walk to see, are we keeping his commandments? 
in 1 John 3.24, a little later in this book, uh, John is going to relate this again with abiding in Christ. So the one who keeps his commandments abides in him. So whenever we see that abide, we ought, we ought to think back to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, where he uses the same word, which is meno in the Greek, which means to abide in the vine as branches. So we want to abide in Christ, just like the branches and the vine. We're going to look at that a bit later. Uh, but we see also that this is a mutual abiding, that who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. That means we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. So there is a mutual or reciprocal abiding that as we rest in him, he will be in us. And remember, he promised us the Holy Spirit. That is one way that he takes up abode in us. Uh, but when his commandments are in us, when we read his word and we meditate on his word, then we store away his word in our hearts as well. So remember, Jesus Christ is the word. The Gospel of John tells us that. And as we read it, we come to know him deeper and we know his commandments and we know his word. So we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So the spirit is that confirmation in us that he is abiding in us. Remember, when we wrestle with the spirit, that's when we have that uh, crossroads where we can walk in the light or walk in the darkness when the spirit is convicting us of something. So 1 John 4.13 says that by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And then in 1 John 5.2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So now we're going to look at this backwards. We start with the commandment that when we're keeping this commandment that we're going to look at in a second, we love the children of God. Then looking forward, we can see that we are keeping his commandments. So in 1 John, he's relating one of these commandments to loving the children of God, to loving the brothers and sisters in Christ. This word commandments is entole in the Greek. And it means very simply commandment, an injunction, a command, or an order. Um, so these are, like if you think of the whole law, well, there's in the Old Testament the law of Christ or the, the law of Moses. And then in the laws, there are 10 commandments. There are many other um, laws in there, but the 10 commandments. So the law is the big picture. And the commandments are the smaller functions of how does that law come together. We have the same thing in the Greek New Testament where we have the namas, the law of Christ, which is the big picture of all that Christ expects. But we have the entole, which are the smaller segments of that law of Christ. How do we know what the law of Christ is? We know by his commandments. So we can look at these entole as simple, um, smaller packages that open up the whole law for us. And Christ made it very simple for us when he summarized the whole law as love the Lord your God with all your 
heart, mind, and soul, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So this we're going to take as the law of Christ and his commandments to love God and love your neighbors. But we want to look a little more specifically, what, where does he teach that and what gives him the right to bring about this law? Uh, in Deuteronomy 18, 18, when they were getting the law from Moses in Israel, uh, it was prophesied that another prophet like Moses would come and he would give them a commandment. So he says, I will raise up a prophet among their countrymen, a kins or countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. So this in the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ and God is saying to Moses, right now I'm giving you these commandments, but another one is coming like you and he is going to give them my words. They will be words from his mouth and he is going to be perfectly obedient to the law of God. And that will be Jesus Christ. So in John 14, 15, Jesus Christ teaches that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus Christ is using this me and my, this personal, first person, singular pronoun, but he is giving the words of God. Jesus right here is identifying himself as the prophet that was promised, but also as God himself. So God is the prophet, Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus Christ has three offices. He has the prophet, the priest, and the king. Well, his function until the cross was as prophet. So from Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, we see his office predicted as prophet. But also in 1 John, it says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This word is the prophetic word that is Jesus Christ, the word of God, the very essence of who God is, um, begins as knowing the beginning from the end, the past from the future, all things, because reality and truth and all that exists emanates from Christ. He is the very center of the purpose for creation and our reality. Remember, all things exist to glorify God, and they glorify God through Christ. So he is here viewed in his prophetic function. Last week, we looked at him in his priestly function, where he is advocating for us as our propitiation. Now we're looking at him as the prophet. He gave us some commandments by which we can stay in the love of God. In John 15, 10, he says that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So if we think back to uh, 1 John 1, verse 3, where three and four, where John is telling us that his hope is that we abide in Christ and abide in the Father. These two are one idea, but also they are abiding in each other. There has always existed the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And there is perfect love between them because they don't need anything outside of themselves. Jesus Christ can love the Father, the Father loves the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they have this love perfected within each other because they are all of the same mind. If we are to abide in that love, then we have to have our minds conformed to Christ so that we can abide together with them in communion. All right, so 1 John 2, 4. Now we see uh, the opposite of this, but we see the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So this sounds very harsh, right? This is kind of uh, words that would sting. But we have to remember, John, although he is always speaking of love, he was called a son of thunder. He and his brother were the sons of thunder when they wanted to rain down fire uh, for the kingdom of God. They have this fiery nature about them where they become very heated and passionate for the truth. Um, so John speaks of love, but that love is coming from Jesus Christ. He is also very passionate for that truth of Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't be shocked when we see him speaking in very black and white terms here. And this is very helpful for us because, as we would say, he is not mincing words. He is not hedging his bets. He is saying absolutely that if you are not walking in these commandments, but you say you are, then you are lying. There is no gray area here. If you are walking, Together with Jesus Christ, you are keeping his commandments. There's no two ways about it. So if we look at this, we can call it a false claim. If you say, I have come to know him, and that uh, has the idea of progression, coming to know someone means that you started in a state of not knowing and you've come to a state of complete or total knowing. Um, what John is saying here is that progress that you're claiming to have made, you have not made. Um, you are still here on step one. So don't lie about this. Start on step one and follow his commandments and come into communion with him. And one, one thing about this is it's, it's better for the liar to come to the understanding of his lie so that he might begin to come into that knowledge because he may have fooled himself. Remember, um, in 1 John 1, 7, he says uh, that you have deceived yourself. Uh, if, you, uh, if you say that you have no sin, you have deceived yourself. So we see in this an element of self-deception as well. It's very possible that this... Uh, this person who makes the claim that he has come to know Christ is self-deluded, that even he believes his own lie. So John is shaking him awake with this very stern language saying, no, you have not come to know him, but with the idea of you ought to start to know him. So in 1 John 1, 6, 8, and 10, we see three false claim statements. We see that... Uh, 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So again, lying. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So all of these false claims hinge around this idea of having truth in us, coming to a right understanding of the truth and admitting that truth. Remember, the truth exists outside of us. Truth is a right understanding of reality. So he's saying we have to come to a right understanding of reality. And that's very important in this Gospel of John because he makes very distinct doctrinal claims. And in order to have fellowship with God, we have to be in the same doctrine as well. So he's saying, here are some places where your doctrine is wrong. You need to come into a correct understanding of that doctrine. So someone in the church may be teaching that you don't have to follow Christ's commandments in order to be in fellowship with him. John is putting that argument to rest, saying that is a false claim. Zane Hodges says, the idea is similar to the statements made earlier about false claims. In such a person, the truth is not a dynamic controlling influence. That means it's not working in him properly. He is seriously out of touch with spiritual reality. And the Bible reveals to us that spiritual reality is more sure and more true than our physical reality, that the spiritual came first, and from the spiritual came the physical. So that our physical reality may even deceive us, but the spiritual reality, which is behind this physical reality, uh, has to be a controlling influence on us that when we come into this understanding of the spiritual reality through walking in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, when we are in touch with those spiritual realities, it's our duty to uh, admit that truth, not to choose instead to live a comfortable lie, but to deal with sometimes the uncomfortable truth of our actions and that they are sinful and that they are separating us from God. So we need to be responsive to the Holy Spirit and to the Word of God. When we come to understand a new truth, we have to act on that truth. 1 John 1.7, which we're going to look at next time, says that if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, Jesus Christ and God, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So remember, you're sorry, this is one we looked at already. Uh, we are walking in the light together with the fellowship of God and the God the Father and God the Son. Um, in 1 John 4, 7 through 8, which comes a little later, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Remember, love is an irreducible quality of God. That means God cannot be um, 
stripped from this uh, adjective of loving. It is an essential quality of who he is. So when we are loving, we are uh, coming into Christ-likeness because Christ is the embodiment of God, the personification of him. So who is born of God, but the one who loves. So if we are able to love by abiding in God and having his love flow through us, we're acting as a conduit for God's love. Think again of the branches in the vine, where the vine or the branch doesn't actually produce the fruit that's on it. It doesn't make that fruit come into being, but rather the nutrients and all of the uh, material needed for that fruit comes from the vine through the branch and then produces that fruit. So we see the same thing happening in a spiritual sense with the believer, that the believer is not making fruit, he is not doing fruit, he is not doing good works, but rather those good works and this love flows through him, uh, stemming first from Christ. So without the love of Christ, without abiding in that love of Christ, we can't produce that love of Christ. Uh, what we produce might be a mere facade, a shadow, something that imitates it, something that looks like the love of Christ, but actually when you get down to the core of it, it's selfishness. We are seeking to love others, not for Jesus Christ, but for ourselves. So we want to make sure we are abiding in Christ's love so that his love flows to our brothers and sisters. And also back to God. 1 John 4, 20 to 21 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. So this is the same exact language as we're looking at here in our chapter two. This is one of the commandments of Jesus Christ that we love one another. So we have to love our brothers. Otherwise, if we hate our brothers or sisters, uh, we are lying. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So it's much easier to love our brothers and sisters because they are together with us. Now we can think about sometimes how hard it is to love our brothers and sisters because we see them. Um, because we're interacting with them day after day. But at the same time, we as humans do have compassion on one another. Uh, when we see each other in a hard situation, we have compassion and sometimes we're moved to love or moved to help through the Holy Spirit. But that's when we see them, right? And we never see God in a situation where he needs from us. We never see him uh, needing that love that we feel that we can fill, even if inappropriately. So we don't have that added layer of, uh, I guess, memory that, oh, I'm supposed to be loving this person. I see them in a bad situation. Well, that doesn't happen for us with God. So if, if we fail even to love the people that we are seeing, how much harder is it going to be for us to continue in the love of God, uh, because we don't see him and we don't feel that there is a need of his that we can fill. We can't love him selfishly as we can love one another selfishly. So we ought to remember continually that we practice on earth what it becomes a reality 
in the spiritual world. So we practice love on earth so that when we are in our relationship with God, that love is already being practiced. So, and this commandment we have from him, from Jesus Christ, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So this idea of loving one another, loving our brothers and our sisters, is a very core uh, commandment of Jesus Christ. And that's one which we have to be keeping in order to stay in that fellowship with him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. So we see this idea of the love of God tied back in this. And remember, John uses what we call shorthand. He isn't going to say every word. He's, he's written a very concise, very simplified uh, epistle where when he says something or when something is understand, understood, he's not going to repeat it every time. So we see in this context the love of God. So we shouldn't be too surprised that that commandment to love one another isn't repeated in verses 3 and 4. But we do see it here in verse 5. But it's also in the context of John's theology, God's, John's gospel. Remember, this book was written after the gospel of John, where we saw Christ's commandments to love one another and to love God. So we have to bring that memory with us from the gospel of John into the epistle of John. So when he brings up these commandments, we should think back so that he doesn't have to rewrite another gospel or another epistle just as long as the gospel of John. He's going to bring back pieces of it here. So he's bringing back that piece now of the love of God, and it's being truly perfected within us. So here's a truth claim. If we are keeping his word, then we are um, in him, in the love of God, and that love has been truly perfected. Robert Yarborough says to be in Christ or God is to know God the Father fully through relationship to him via the Son. It is to have the Father living in oneself, doing his work, if Jesus' own description of being in the Father and having the Father in me. So we remember that comes from John 14. Uh, this is part of Jesus teaching the disciples how to live in the world without him. So Judas, and this is not Judas Iscariot, uh, but another one of the disciples who was named Judas, uh, a lot of the disciples actually had the same name. Um, so keep that in mind as we go through here. Judas, but not Judas Iscariot, who would betray Jesus Christ, said to Jesus, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world. So Jesus Christ has just told them that he is going to give them a deeper disclosure of himself and who he is. And Judas is asking, why to us and not to everyone? Why are you keeping this truth from the outside world and keeping it within the family of fellowship? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him 
and he will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the Father which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus Christ is telling him essentially the parameters for who is about to receive deeper knowledge and deeper understanding of who he is. And he says it by means of um, capability, that it's not by their own merit that they come to a deeper understanding of God, but by the very nature of abiding in him, that only those who are abiding in him can have their abode with God and with Jesus Christ, so that all that do not have the Father living in them, through Jesus Christ living in them, through abiding in his, uh, through abiding in his love, uh, cannot have this deeper understanding, because that is the very means by which they come to a deeper understanding. Uh, so it is the, the nature of the mutual abode or the reciprocal abode christ in us and us in christ that is what teaches us the deeper uh, understanding of who christ is zain hajas said god's love for the believer is wonderful at the time or at the point of salvation but its goal is not reached until the believer returns that love by obedience so his love is is perfectly towards us, but it becomes perfected, passive tense, God working on us, becomes perfected when our obedience returns to him, with the result that he knows the deeply personal love of the Father and the Son as they make their home in him, or with him. All right, our last verse here. By this we know that we are in him, so he's coming back to this testing of this truth. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So we're walking in Christ-likeness. Not only are we following his commandments, but we also follow his example. In John 15, 4 through 5, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. We cannot produce the works of Christ unless we are resting in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In 1 John 1, 5, we saw already that this message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So this abiding in the light, which we understood to be proper response to the revelation of Jesus Christ, be it through the word of God, through the spirit, and Jesus Christ lived in this light. In John 13, 14 through 15, we see Jesus Christ's example of walking in that light uh, through service. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I do. So Jesus Christ is giving us an example of service to one another. That's how we love each other. We serve one another. In John 5 through 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. 
as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is how Jesus Christ loves God the Father. He does the will of the Father, that as the will is revealed to him, he is obedient to it. And in John 6:38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So again, he has reconfirmed that he does God's will, not his own. And finally, uh, this is the very foundation of this gospel, the very, or this um, epistle, the very uh, focus and purpose of it is that we come into fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, and the apostles who are preaching this doctrine. Remember, they are reporting to us the same words that they heard already from Jesus Christ. So we are to be responsive to those. Right, we have a question from Janet, but that is not literal to wash the feet of the brethren today, right? Because they're doing it. Uh, no, uh, it's an example by means of application. So Jesus Christ is, uh, is uh, though he is the leader of the disciples, though he is God himself, and at this time the disciples have come to understand that he is the Christ, that he is the king, that he is the anointed one, yet he puts himself below them in a position of service. So his primary application in washing their feet was to show them that though they are clean, they will still need cleansing. Though they are in a position of salvation, they still need to be um, brought into fellowship. A secondary application is a leader leads by serving. So we lead our brothers to Christ's love by serving them in Christ's love. So this is a second ap secondary application of that passage. You're right, Janet, that it's not a direct application of we need to wash each other's feet, but to emulate Christ's attitude in service to one another. Uh, I question that because uh, they're doing it right and doing it today. So oh, they especially are? Evangelical. Yeah. yeah. And I experienced that so when <laughs> I was the other church. Not yeah. The, not this church. Yeah, so know that that is not a direct commandment. I mean, if you have a brother or a sister who needs their feet washed because they smell really bad or something and they can't reach themselves or something, um, feel free to show them Christ's love by washing their feet. But bring them to this verse and, and show them Christ's love for his disciples. Um, if it's just our actions and them looking at us as, well, look how wonderful this person is, then it's not really the love of Christ living in us. It's that selfishness of, I want this praise and this glory of being Christ-likeness, rather than saying, I want to emulate Christ and love my brother to Christ. Um, so make sure that when you are abiding in Christ and when you are serving your brothers and sisters, that they are aware that this is not your love, but this is the love of Christ coming through you because he has loved you so much that your cup is overflowing and you want to serve them because Christ has served you. All right. So finally, um, what is obedience? That without obedience to God's commandments, 
no person can truthfully claim an intimate personal knowledge of the Father and the Son. And that's what we want. We want an intimate personal knowledge, a dynamic knowledge, one that works inside of us. Um, though in order to be saved, we have to know truths about Jesus Christ. When we come to a knowledge of the truth, we are saved. But in order to have fellowship, these truths need to work inside of us, that they need to push us towards Christ-likeness, not just to salvation, but to discipleship. All right. So as imitators of Christ, if we keep his commandments, we know that we have come into an intimate relationship with God and Jesus. If we do not keep his commandments, but we claim an intimate relationship, we are lying. God's love is perfected when we keep his word because his love is meant to bring us into an obedient love relationship. We have the example of Jesus to follow in loving God, doing his will, and loving one another. So these are the commandments of Jesus Christ. All right, so we are finished with tonight's lesson. Um, are there any comments or prayer requests that we can? Keep in prayer this week. For me, prayer request. Mm -hmm. But I have a question though. Okay. Um, it says uh, when uh, Hajis, I told, I don't know what exactly uh, the the, passage, uh, the statement was. Mm -hmm. um, it says the command, yeah, no, the other one. It says yeah. the command, yeah, that, that's it. Uh, without obedience to God's commandments, no person can true can truthfully claim an intimate personal knowledge of the Father and the Son. My question is, what is the commandments? Because people knows commandment is doing good to people. But my understanding in this is without obedience to one commandments, the commandments is the word of God to study with it. Because how can a person uh, truthfully claim an intimate personal knowledge of God if doing works, not doing uh, studying the Bible or his word, right? So that's my, I don't know if that's question or statement. Yeah. That's, that's a good question and a good statement as well. Uh, I would bring it back to, uh, I, I'd bring it back oh, to, I'm sorry. No, that, it's a good clarification. So we see that we are supposed to be keeping his commandments. And those commandments are intimately involved with the love of God. So we know that the commandments of Jesus Christ through John's theology is to love God the Father and to love one another. But how we do this is that we imitate Christ. We look at Christ's walk and Christ's life and we see how did he love the Father and how did he love one another? Well, one way that he expressed love to the Father was he was very intimately aware of God's word. Remember when he was tempted by Satan in the desert, he used the words of scripture to refute him. Uh, 
Jesus had an intimate knowledge of scripture. We can see that he studied scripture himself. So that is one way that we are in the will of God, because God has expressed his will that we know him through reading and meditating on his word. So this is one way that we show our love to God, that we read his word. And in John's theology, remember the first thing that John ever writes to his uh, readers is that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Obviously, the word of God is a very important facet of how we come to know who Christ is and who God is. And without uh, studying the word to see who God is, the word is the revelation of God, um, of himself, then even this knowledge of his commandments is impossible. So we ought to be studying his word in order to understand uh, who he is, what his example is, but also his explicit commandments uh, in his word. And remember, those commandments are not for salvation, but those commandments are in fellowship. Those commandments are given to those who are already in a saved relationship with Jesus Christ. He covenants himself with believers. He doesn't covenant himself with unbelievers. And in a covenant relationship, there are expectations on the steward. So we, as stewards of the church age, come to Christ through a position of uh, salvation, through faith alone in Christ alone. Once we have come into that faith relationship with Christ, then we have the responsibilities of walking in Christ's likeness. But unbelievers who are not in that salvation relationship with Jesus Christ through faith do not have the commandments to walk as Christians. Their lives would be better if they did, but they don't have the power to walk in Christ's likeness because they have not been cleansed of all their sins. That cleansing is available to them through faith alone, and then they have the responsibility to walk in the light, but not until they have come to Christ in faith first. All right. All right, if that's it, uh, Janet, let's hear your prayer request and then see if there's any more, then we can pray and you guys can get to bed. Okay, uh, my prayer request is about the spousal visa. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I hope, uh, I pray, hoping that uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, notif notification, notification from the lawyer that we have from the government. Good. Good. Okay, we will definitely be praying for that. It's, um, it's been already eight eight months. Eight months. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, we will be praying for you that you and Charles can be together. Yeah, fr yeah from one. from from mm -hmm. we we apply, mm -hmm. uh, we applied, and then it's already, it's been already eight, uh, eight 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 months. Yeah. Eight months. That can be discouraging that it takes so long, but uh, hopefully the wait will be worth it, and. Uh, God is good. God is good. And uh, he loves the institution of marriage that he has designed and developed. And uh, I'm sure that he would like you and Charles to be together. So let's uh, pray for Janet and pray for ourselves as well, that we can walk in the light of Jesus Christ and love each other and love God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the brothers and sisters here who have come together to study your word 
to come to a deeper, more intimate knowledge of who you are. We come to that knowledge through studying your word, through understanding the revelation of yourself, and we understand your commandments to be uh, loving God with all our heart, minds, and soul, and uh, to love one another as ourselves. So Lord, we pray that you convict our hearts and convict our minds of these truths, uh, that you give us the power to overcome ourselves and live in Christ-likeness. Lord, we pray also for Janet and Charles uh, as they seek to be united in their marriage, uh, that they can be in one place on this earth together while there's uh, still time left. Lord, uh, we do pray for your coming, that, uh, that you come quickly. Uh, these are dark days, and it's a dark world. We know that Satan is the ruler of this world. But uh, we know that even on this earth, we can have intimate fellowship with you. How much more do we wish to be in the same place as you? Just like Charles and Janet want to be together physically, so we want to be together with you, Lord, physically. So we ask these things, Lord, in your glorious name. Amen.